So let's take young leaders. We talked about the next generation. There's so many young leaders that want influence with 200 or 2,000 or 20,000, but they've been entrusted with two and they're not taking care of the two. Hey friends, welcome to this week's episode of the Live Lead Last podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa and James Duvall. Lisa, I'm so excited about this week's episode. We have Tyler Regan, the founder and CEO of The Life Giving Company. Tyler is the former president of Catalyst, which is a leadership development organization. He's also the author of two books, The Life Giving Leader and Leading Things You Didn't Start. He's a podcaster and he just recently started a new endeavor called The 1010 Project. Cool. Well, I know your conversation is loaded with content, so we probably should just jump in and we'll get back together at the end of the episode. Tyler, thanks for being on the podcast. It's great to connect and spend some time together with you today, my friend. Yeah, it's really an honor to be a part. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to connecting and talking about your new book, Leading Things You Didn't Start, which is subtitled Winning Big When You Inherit People, Places, and Possibilities. So to get us started, can you give us a bit of your background, maybe the journey that has brought you to this moment in your leadership in life? Yeah, it's uh, it starts back in high school. I became uh, a Christian and I grew up in the South. And so it's normal that you go to church. But for me, the relationship piece in faith really got uh, real when I was in high school. It was interesting because then I had people who were like adults volunteering in the youth group or whatever. And they were like, you, you need to go into ministry. And I remember thinking, I don't think I'm going to do that unless... I feel a calling to do that. But what it was is they saw some leadership in me and I, I've always had this kind of bent towards leading people. I've felt comfortable with it. I don't get intimidated by it. I love it. Honestly, it brings life to me. And so I felt called in college. I went to the University of Georgia. I'm a big Georgia Bulldog fan and was a part of a campus ministry that just changed a lot of people's lives. I can name probably a hundred people I know during that season who are in full-time ministry like Annie F. Downs and Kevin Queen and David Platt, folks that went through that same season of ministry at that ministry together. And it's just a beautiful thing. I just always led. I don't know. It was one of those unique things. And so one a big part of my story is I have about as ecumenical a faith journey as it gets. I was a youth pastor in an Episcopal church right out of college, worked at a charismatic student ministry I've mentioned. I grew up in Southern Baptist Church and then went to seminary at Gordon-Conwell in Boston and got my MDiv, my Master of Divinity there, while working at a Cambridge Vineyard Church, while being a part of a Four Seas Congregational Church. I love the kingdom. I love church stuff. And what was beautiful is like, even when I was a youth pastor at an Episcopal church, that was not my space. Like that was not like, oh, this is it. This is where I want to be. But I fell in love with parts of it. I fell in love with the reverence and the way that they approach God and some of that sort of thing. Long story short, I've always had this back and forth part of my leadership journey, which is I have this degree and experience in production and technical side of things. And I think a lot of that comes from my dad being a mechanic my whole life. I love to work with stuff with my hands and technology and computers. They, they make sense to me. And then I had this teaching and creative side and, and I was a worship leader. And so I ended up after seminary helping plant a church in Athens at the University of Georgia from North Point with Andy Stanley. Okay. I was the service programming director. So I really started cutting my teeth in producing and producing events and leading and pastoring those spaces. And then I helped start Brownsbridge Community Church, which was a campus in North Point. I would produce the big church leadership events that we did. And that's how Catalyst got connected. Catalyst, which is a, a national leadership movement, 
started by John Maxwell, hired me for a couple of years to be the producer of the big events that we did, two or three big events a year. And then Brad Lominick, who we we both know, invited me to come up full time and be the creative director for the movement, but then also develop our staff. So when I was at Brownsbridge, that's when I got bit by the leadership bug. And I, I always knew about it and I always loved it, but I was being coached by a lady named Fran Lamatina. And Fran was coaching my team. And I remember sitting there one day and going, I think I could do that. Like, I actually really would love to do that. Next thing I know, I just started getting certified toward it, working towards that. And then I got the call to go to Catalyst. And so for seven years, part of Catalyst, about a year as a creative director, and then I took over as the director. And so for about six years, I was leading this big national leadership movement. And I don't know how I got there. About two years ago, I left there and I've been doing my own leadership coaching and consulting since then. So that's a little bit of a long version, but at least it gives you uh, a little bit of the bookmarks here and there. Yeah, your journey is fantastic. Even all the church backgrounds, and obviously Catalyst is really instrumental in a lot of the next gen leaders who are yes, yeah. getting a little bit older like us now, but such a such a powerful movement. One of the goals of this podcast is really to introduce listeners to people like yourself who are leading their lives and leveraging influence to make a difference in the world. And you're obviously doing that. And we're going to talk about some of your leadership content in your book here in a few minutes. But could you share just a couple of thoughts that you would have that you've learned about influence. John Maxwell talks that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So what could our listeners do to grow their influence? Yeah, that's a good question. And when I was a catalyst, knowing that John started it, that's a phrase we all believe. I wrote the first book, Life-Giving Leader. And I knew that part of the challenge of that was there's a lot of people that don't think they're leaders. And so what we have to do is communicate and explain to them in a way that makes them understand, yes, you are. It doesn't require a stage. It doesn't require a platform. It doesn't require an upfrontness. It requires you understanding that leadership is influence. And the only thing I would add to that, James, is how you steward your influence is your leadership journey. That is it. So let's take young leaders. We talked about the next generation. There's so many young leaders that want influence with 200 or 2,000 or 20,000, but they've been entrusted with two and they're not taking care of the two. And I've just always believed in the stewardship of influence. If I take care of the two that are around me, although that's not cool and it's not big and it's not this and then the other, the next thing I know is that there was four sitting around the circle. I mean, this is my journey. I don't have the background, the pedigree. I didn't come from the right space to all of a sudden be leading this thing. And I remember, honestly, for the first year and a half, when I would get introduced on stages to speak on behalf of Catalyst, I was almost embarrassed of like, I don't know how I got to the seat. You know what I mean? I would make fun of the fact that God would put me in a seat like that. And then all of a sudden, I started feeling convicted from the Lord. And I had some friends say, hey, quit doing that. Like, you're dishonoring this call in your life. Like, it's not God's sense of humor. It's actually His plan. It's a strategic plan. But I I think we've all been there where yeah. we're stepping into a space and all of a sudden we're like, whoa. And people are like, well, how did you get there? And honestly, I go back to what we just said. I remember when we started Athens Church, I had all these volunteers. I did every job in that role because that was it. Yeah. But I took care of those two or the four and I really stewarded those two people. And the next thing I knew I had four sitting around the circle and then I took care of those four. And the next thing I knew I had 10 or whatever the thing may be. The truth is, though, how you steward your influence with one, two, five, six, eight other people is going to be an indication of whether or not you can handle more than that. To me, that's the simplest way to understand that as a human, we have influence with other humans. Yeah. And how we steward that is our leadership journey. That's so good. It really comes down to the principle of being faithful in the small things, right? That's right. Be trusted with small things, then God will trust you with bigger things. So that's so good. 
I want to jump into your new book. This is your second book, Life-Giving Leaders, the first one. I told you earlier, as a leader who has yeah. personally transitioned numerous times and led in areas that I did not start, I wish I would have had this book about 20 years ago. So obviously- You, <laughs> you don't want me to write it 20 years ago when I was 25, though. That's it would not true. have been as helpful. That's true. But somebody should have wrote this book for us 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, obviously, you shared a lot of your leadership positions in ministry and organizations that you yeah. transitioned. But- what was it specifically about those experiences that led you to write this book? Yes, yeah, exactly what you said is I remember leaving on a Friday as the creative director of Catalyst coming in the next Monday as the boss. And I started getting a little overwhelmed with the reality of stewarding John Maxwell's legacy and Brad Lominick and Gabe Lyons and Jeff Schinnebarger and Tripp and Tyler and Andy Stanley and all these people who this had been a part of their life. It was their DNA. And I remember just going, okay, where do I turn for help on this? Like what resources do I know? And as I was thinking about it, there are a few good business books on transition, the first 90 days, whatever those things are, but there really weren't a lot of faith-based books that talked about it. And on top of that, there's a million books on entrepreneurship and startup. And I started looking around at my friend group and thinking about myself. And like, I mentioned all those things. I didn't start any of those things. Like nothing that I had done in my career was something I started from scratch. So none of those resources would have helped me. But I realized like, I just got handed the keys. What's my expectation? And, and for years, honestly, I had talked about, there's a big difference between inheriting a team and starting a team. The original title was Inheriting Influence. I really like the new title, Leading Things You Didn't Start Better is super clear. But the truth is like very few of us start something. Yeah. Almost all of us, even a college graduate is about to step into something they didn't start. And for them to have a resource that says, hey, here's just some simple practical ways to try to make sure you gain influence from day one versus lose influence from day one. And so it really came out of more of a, gosh, I learned a lot. And then I happened to be stepping in to transition a pretty national public beloved kind of thing that everybody had some thoughts on, that's for sure. And so yeah. <laughs> trying to manage that kind of platform while dealing with my own leadership journey was was definitely unique. I heard a friend of mine, Lance Witt, talk about the transition is a natural part of life. And yeah. sometimes we're just not prepared for what that is. And you're right. I mean, most people aren't going to start things. Most people are going to inherit something other people have started. It's interesting as you're saying that, I would just wonder how many entrepreneurs, people who actually start things, yeah. also have the same skill set to take something somebody else has started and do it because it's actually two different skill sets. Yeah, it is. Two different types of leadership. I'm wondering, in your opinion, what does healthy transition look like? And then why is it so complicated for people to actually do it? Well, I would go back to what you just said about founders, right? Like the founder syndrome is maybe one of the most difficult business leadership processes or transitions that could ever happen. Like founders that from day one aren't intentional about raising up other leaders to have the DNA to carry the load. I mean, I, I do a lot of coaching with leaders and almost every CEO or lead pastor that I work with are somewhat convinced that their hands on things is what's made it. They trust the Lord and those kind of things, but yeah, but I see it differently. Yeah, but I, I make sure this is awesome. Like without my hands on it, I don't know if it would be what it is. Yeah. And founders really struggle with that with their organizations, right? It's going, yeah, but who's going to care about it as much as I do? Who loves it as much as I do? Nobody will go as far as I am. Well, some of that's true, but some of that's okay too. Like, yeah. but it's really hard to hand over the baby, right? Yeah. It's really hard to go, 
I gave my life to this thing. I created this thing. And yet at some point I got to hand it off. And honestly, I guess there are definitely some founders that are okay that it dies with them. Right. Yeah. But I would bet if we sat with every single entrepreneur and startup the day that they started it, the week that they're getting into their new business or nonprofit. And we said, Hey, do you wish this has a life after you? Or do you think this is just going to be your run and, and shut it down? And I would bet most of them would say, I would love for this to just be a generational thing. I'd love for this to carry on without me. Yeah. If they were intentional from day one about how do you create the organization, not based on my personality, but based on our strategy, based on what we believe in, based on the leaders I could put around me, I bet we would be in a better place. The other big piece is how many churches are about to go through this in the next five to 10 years yeah. that are 30 years old, but the lead pastor is in their 60s and now they're going, what am I going to do? But there are also churches like Southeastern in Louisville. They've successfully transitioned three or four times in the last decade or 15 years. And it's part of their DNA. Like they literally talk about it all the time. Like most of the time, whoever's the current senior pastor, everybody knows who's the next one that's being trained. Yeah. That is so rare. That is incredible insight to go, this is bigger than just us. This is about the faith family we're leading or the business that we're leading. And so, yeah, I think it's just a really difficult thing to do because it requires so much strategy and so much focus. Yeah. I think succession planning is also hard, especially in the church, maybe because you start talking about the end of your time. It's like, ah, you know, you start protecting your place. I think it takes a lot of security and leadership to do that. And yeah, you're let's right. Let's be honest, most leaders aren't real secure, are they? No, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's just not it's not easy to do because you like being liked. Yeah. Like that's the simple part of it. We we like to be liked and we like to know that we're needed. And then all of a sudden you go, "Wait, you don't need me anymore?" Wait. Yeah. That's hard. Let's be real. That's hard. And that's a whole nother discussion about how do you, as a young leader, prepare so that yeah. your leadership continues to flourish and blossom, even when somebody can do something faster and quicker and cheaper than what you can right now. So if you're coaching somebody, maybe one of our listeners, and they're in the process of getting ready to transition into a leadership role, something they didn't start what would be maybe a first question you would say they should ask or what would be some coaching you would give them? I talk about in the book at this epic plan is what we call it. Mm -hmm. it's, it starts with evaluation. And here's here's the thing about evaluation. I mean, so many of us realize when we come in, we've got to look at it. We got to, but very few great leaders do as much evaluation before they say yes to the job as they can. You saw in the back, I have four case studies of yeah. leaders in different spheres that have stepped in. And one of those is my friend, Buzz Williams, who's the head coach at Texas A&M men's basketball. When I interviewed him. It was his fourth division one school that he had taken over and he was only a hundred days in. And I can remember as clear as day him going, and it's different than what I was told. <laughs> but how many leaders have said that, right? Like they didn't tell me all the stuff. They didn't, yeah. they didn't show me all the skeletons in the closet. Well, they're not going to show you if you don't ask. Yeah. One of the things I think is critical as you're starting to step in, even before you say yes to the job, even before you say yes to the promotion, even before that is asking some of those hard questions. I, our generation grew up that like, it's really awesome that I'm getting interviewed. So it's almost like, I really want this job. So you interview me, like what you're seeing is a shift too, to recognize that people are going, no, 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 I'm interviewing the organization as much as they're interviewing me. Well, that's where you do this is you go, Hey, so tell me about the financial understandings. Where are we really? I just need to know that what, what's good, what's bad, what's indifferent. How does the board work? Talk me through any history in the board that I need to know. Little things that sound little are the things that could keep you from being successful. If you don't know them. Now, most of us, even when we know 
those things, we go, okay, as long as I know, I probably can address them. I probably can work on them. I could probably do that. But the occasional time you're going to find out something you're going to go, nope, I'm good. Thanks for asking. There's somebody else better for this job. But it all starts with evaluation. And a big part of that in those first few weeks too, once you've said yes, is what in the past is honorable because you got to find those things and you got to honor it yeah. and be able to show that you have care for the past, but not being trapped by the past. And so that's what I would say is just, let's make sure that we evaluate. I wrote in the first chapter that I really feel like, and this is a super oversimplification of leadership, but our jobs as leaders is to point people back that leadership is always about people. It's not crazy complicated. If you take care of people, you're going to be okay. And so I just talk about the fruit of the spirit. And I know that sounds like such a simple oversimplification. As a matter of fact, James, I had a two-star review on Amazon that said the book is too simple. And I thought, (laughs) well, they didn't read it then because it's not simple. It's not simple, but I literally say leadership books tend to overcomplicate leadership. I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible, which is if you were to be loving, if you were to be filled with joy, if you were gentle and kind in the way that you act, if you come in with a self-control that is just like, wow, okay, I'm telling you, you pick three of the nine fruit of the spirit and you and I, if somebody joins your team, James, thumbs up, you're you're successful in your first 90 days because you exhibited three of the fruit of the spirit. Way to go. Yeah, I liked how you actually put patience at the very end of the, you reorder them a bit, which is really good. So you mentioned honor there and- and I think when you step into any new space or any new place position that you didn't start and you're following a leader, regardless if the leader was a great leader or an average leader or a bad leader, honor is a big piece of that. And you take the whole section two of your book and deal with this issue of honor. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of honor and how you honor culture and also when you're stepping in the shoes of the previous leader? People ask me all the time, like, if I was going to start with leadership, where do you start? And I always throw it back to emotional intelligence, which truthfully is the fruit of the spirit and in a faith based side of things. But the thing about emotionally intelligent leaders is they recognize the emotional realities that they're stepping into. And that's what honor does. Honor gives you the ability to show the people that you're joining their team, that you're stepping into a spot. Hey, I actually recognize this is interesting. I actually recognize that you've been through some tough seasons or great seasons. If, if you're following a leader that was amazing and got promoted or moved on, but people love them, whew, that's a different leadership part of it too, where you go, man, Steve was awesome, wasn't he? But when I just show those leaders that I recognize this is hard for them because I'm not Steve, you're gaining influence. Yeah. You just are. Like they go, okay, this guy's real. This girl's real. They're authentic. They recognize this is not just a robot that's trying to be emotionless and come in. Same thing if you follow a leader that was horrible and you're picking up the pieces of a toxic culture by caring for those people. There's a way though to say, I honor where you've been. And and honor could be not for that last leader, but to honor these people for staying and honor these people for being committed to the mission or the purpose or the vision and going way to go. Like, you know, I know you've been through some hard stuff. You won't gain influence doing this, trashing whatever you've taken over, Yeah, trashing where they've been in the past, trashing the leader who might've been terrible. Yeah. It's not a win. It's not a win at all. There's nothing about that. However, I will say this. If you honor things that are not honorable, you're going to lose influence. Mm. And so it's really a tricky little dance. So you got to find that space. I personally believe in honoring longer than you have to. I just want to make sure that people recognize that any public opportunity I have to honor the person I'm standing on the shoulders of, I'm going to do that. And honestly, the business world doesn't do this a whole lot. The the church world, there's a little better at honor sometimes, but a lot of times it's not. So I say that in a way... 
Now, the critical discernment piece, though, is how long do you honor without getting stuck? And it's funny, though, James, sometimes you write stuff and then you think of something later and you go, gosh, I wish I would have put that in there. I did talk about in the book this dance that we have to do, yep. but now I just call it the dance of discernment because people are like, well, how long do you wait? I don't know. Yeah. But you have to do this dance, which is I'm going to step forward and see how that feels. And if I didn't step fast enough, I need to step a little further. And if I step too fast, I'll feel it. Yeah. And I'm going to, so it's a little bit of a give and take. It's a little bit of a discernment. You just honor what you want to see repeated, honor what you want people to recognize is going to be values moving forward. So for instance, if I took over a, a ministry and the, the last leader was unbelievably good at celebrating life change, I'm going to honor the heck out of that. And I'm going to repeat that. And I'm going to celebrate that because I want to keep doing that same thing. But if the leader in the past had some sort of moral struggle, I'm not going to honor that because I don't want them to think that's okay. Like you just have to start honoring what you want to celebrate as values. I want to turn to another big piece though, because honor is big, but trust is really essential for any relationship. It's a foundational building block for all leadership. One of my favorite books is the classic Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And he writes that trust always affects two outcomes, speed and cost. And when trust goes down, speed goes down and cost goes up. And conversely, when trust is high, speed goes up and cost goes down. So when you transition, there really is is this currency of trust, right? Some is given to you from the position, but people are watching. So talk to us about how a leader can build trust with a new team. I'm sure this is one of your favorite leadership guys, because I know it's one of mine, but Patrick Lencioni, he builds every foundation for great teams on trust. Like it's just, it is what it is. Like, and like we said, gaining influence is gaining trust. What, What you're saying is you have, you have an ability to speak into my world. That's what influence is. You have a, an ability to impact me. And the only reason I'm letting you do that is because I believe and trust that you've got something that's worthy of me giving you that space. And so as leaders, everything we do gains or loses trust, right? And that's a little stressful. The beauty is if you spend more time gaining trust than you do losing trust, then the moments that you make a mistake, the moments that you have a lapse in judgment, the moments that you fail something, the grace has been built up that the trust doesn't erode because the number game is in your favor, right? So what I believe in in leadership is I'm going to spend every day doing what I can to deeply develop a well of trust. And that's everything from, I'm going to remember your name and what happened with your kid's ball game last week. I'm going to remember to ask you about what's going on at school for your, you know, I'm going to remember to ask because you went last week to see your parents who aren't doing well. I'm going to remember to ask those things. I'm going to come out of my office. Not that we're all in offices right now, but you know, I'm going to come out and I'm going to take five minutes of my day and I'm going to check in with, do you feel equipped? Do you have what you need? That obstacle you talked about last week, how are we doing on that? Can I help? What can I do? How can I leverage my influence and skill set and talent and relationships to help make you better and to help move the ball down the field for you. So all I want to do day in and day out is deposit trust, deposit, 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 deposit. And the the truth about leadership, a lot of people have great ideas about leadership. A lot of people don't want to write about it because leadership's an ideal. I remember in Life Giving Leader, I I wrote a chapter on healthy. And I even said in the little section about diet, I was like, I don't want to write this chapter (laughs) or this section because I don't want to be held accountable to this. But when you put something down, you hand it out, there's accountability to that, right? Yeah. The truth is I'm never going to do what, even I talk about in this book, to 100% perfection. 
Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Every time I go out to play golf, I don't have this expectation that it's going to be the perfect round. Right. But I love it anyway because I'm fighting for that. I want to do that. And the days that I have a very imperfect round, I come back. I get up the next day and I try it again. And I think that's the thing about leadership. It's not a perfect sport. It's not a perfect anything. There's ideals that we're setting out in front of you. If you just go, well, I can't hit the ideal, so forget it. Welcome to life. Yeah. Like, But the, the point is, I'm going to gain trust when I get back up the next day and I made a mistake with you and I own it. And I show you that I'm going to be better the next time because of it. So, yeah, I mean, from day one, James, you've got to jump in and trust people. Well, you've interviewed a lot of leaders throughout your days of leadership, especially at Catalyst and so forth. Are there some common threads that you found among leaders who have actually transitioned and done it right? You mentioned this earlier, but like one is they're very patient people. Patience is a fruit of the spirit because it is not natural. There is a requirement (laughs) that says I need an outside source helping me be patient because we do not live in a patient world. We're not patient people. I do think they're strategic. I think yeah. a lot of leaders who are really good recognize that me doing this well is a win-win-win for the people around. You can't do it well and be strategic without bringing people along with you. That's just the truth. There are a few times that somebody inherits something that is on fire. Yeah. And you've got to go in guns blazing and you've got to fix this thing now or it ain't going to make it. But that's just such a rare, that's an exception to the rule. Very few of us are stepping into that. We might have many fires, but very few are stepping in and the plane is on fire, right? Yeah. But sometimes people come in with that mentality of, I want to show you how good I am, how competent I am, how much you can trust me to get the job done. Just pause for a second. Yeah. Like they, they just went through a traumatic change of leadership and you coming in guns blazing. It's just not a win. Again, if the ship has to be put out on fire, do it, put it out. Like you got to do that. But that's just not most of the time. Most of the time you're coming into an okay place to do that. I got to come in. I got to listen. Well, I got to be patient. But I guess the the most oversimplified answer that I would say is that leaders who do it well understand emotional intelligence yeah. and how to care for people through the process. You know, when I talk about the epic process, it's evaluation, patience, implementation, and then care. Well, care is not a step in the process. It is literally the fabric that everything is written on. And our friend Maxwell said, people don't care how much you until they know how much you, you care. care. Yeah. So you can come in showing them competence, but if they don't think you care about them, they don't care that you're competent. Man, it's so good. The book is amazing. And we could talk a whole lot more about it. I think all our listeners should go and pick up a book. I mean, you actually have a 30-day plan at the back of the book of what somebody can do in, in the first 30 days. I want to turn the corner from the book for a minute and talk about some other things that you're doing because obviously you're in the leadership space in a lot of different places and you've recently co-founded the organization, the 1010 Project that serves pastors struggling with mental and emotional health issues. Can you talk a little bit about that? For 20 years, I've done ministry and I love leaders. I love leaders and I love local church and I believe the church should be the best run organization on the planet. About a year ago this this week, I was with some leaders and some pastors and a, a good friend of ours and had just an incredible time together in Colorado. And three weeks later, one of the guys who was leading us and and investing in us took his life. And that was the third pastor friend of mine in 12 months that had done that. Honestly, the season after Catalyst, I was okay just to consult and do leadership work and just do my own thing and not stick my head above water. Like just, I'm good. I'm just working. Things are good. But that weekend after Darren took his life, I, I remember my spirit was very unsettled and my heart and my mind were just shattered. 
but I also really felt like the Lord said that I had buried the talent and he was right. And I did it intentionally <laughs> because I was okay. Like I was like, man, I'm good for now. Like I don't, the leading catalyst, the big movement things or whatever, I'm good. I, I don't really want to be in the public right now. I don't want to do these things. And so I did bury it intentionally. But what I knew is that I, I'm tired of losing my friends. Yeah. One of the reasons I love catalyst is because the impact it makes when you serve the leaders. I love leaders. Like I'm just gifted to work, to lead leaders and pastor pastors. It's just something that God's uniquely gifted. I called my buddy, Josh Turner, who is a pastor who had been really close to Darren. And I said, Hey, I'm going to do something about this because even if it's not suicide, we're losing guys and girls to addiction. We're losing them to moral failures. We're losing them to just bad decisions that were made, not overnight. They're made because of guardrails aren't in place and, and, and they're not healthy throughout the process. And they're dealing with these unrealistic expectations that get placed on them. We started, it's called the 1010 project. It's really cool because even it's on my hat, but I know you're not going to show it, but it's, it's a logo of an axe and a, and a staff. And the idea is uh, Ecclesiastes 1010 that says, when the axe grows dull, it's harder to swing, but with skill comes success. The shepherd's hook is just, we want to shepherd shepherds and pastor pastors and grow them and, and, and refine them. It's a 12 month process. Right now it's male pastors. That's where we've started. We, we are working on currently, what does it look like to do this for female leaders? What does it look like to do this for Christian business leaders? And we kick it off with an excursion. We had our first project. We had 14 pastors that went to Wyoming snowmobiling because wow. we got to get them out. You got to get yeah. out of the world. Like I can't do this in a hotel ballroom. Like right. we've got to yeah. relax and sit around a fire and have a good meal together for the, for the guys to feel safe. That, that's the biggest thing that came from losing Darren was this guy had every reason not to do this. He had every relationship. He'd been through all the coaching. He'd had all the therapy and the training. And yet he had a secret that he didn't feel like he could tell somebody. That's a guy that has all that. What about all the leaders that just got stuck in the leadership and nobody's ever walked with them and they don't feel like they can tell their elder board anything that they're struggling with. And they don't feel like they can talk to their close friends because most of the time, the more successful you are in ministry, your friends become on payroll. They end up being at your church and you're going, I can't tell them. So you get isolated. So it's, it's the weirdest little thing. The more successful in ministry you become, the more isolated you tend to become. So the goal is what if you get in a circle with four to six other leaders who know your world because they are in the same kind of seats, Yeah, but they don't need anything from you. So yeah, we kick it off with that. We do monthly coaching. We just had it today with uh, Rob Hoskins, who's the CEO of, of One Hope down in Florida. It's great. And he crushed it today, but he literally just simply talked about governance and accountability. Well, they don't teach that in the schools that we get trained in. And the guys were just like, whoa, tell me more, tell me more. I need more of that in my life. And so then we break up for an hour each time and they they catch up. How are we doing guys? How are we doing in that? What's going on with your your daughter? What's going on? The goal is at the end of 12 months, these guys are not in isolation. They've got a group of guys in their life or girls as we move forward, but that know everything in their world, but don't need anything from them. They're safe. The goal is just simply to keep guys in the game. It's so needed. And so that's so cool what you guys are doing. And yeah, really great project. You're also a podcaster. You have a podcast, The Life-Giving Leader. I love leadership. Like this is a means to an end for me of, I just want to continue to serve leaders. Over the years of leading Catalyst, one of our jobs is interviewing people. I love it. You're great at it too. Like it's a skill. Like, listen, let's be honest. There are people that are not great at it and should not be doing it. I just love asking their story and I love tying it into a leadership principle or showing people, hey, yeah, I know you weren't even thinking that's leadership. That's leadership right there. That's that's how you move people forward, right? And so I started the Life-Giving Leader podcast actually a year ago. I'm in season two, just started season two. It was in 
intentionally built around this new book because I wanted to do a series of interviews of people that are leading something they didn't start. And so, yeah, I love it. It's really fun. I just interviewed my friend, Annie Downs. This will be a bonus episode. It's not really a leading things you didn't start, but I love how she always says it. I love introducing my friends to my friends. And so that's a heartbeat behind it. Well, Tyler, this has been so great. Thanks again for being on the podcast. If listeners wanted to learn more about you, where would you send them online? Yeah, for my business is just lifegiving.co. Obviously, tylerreagan.com just talks about the books and the podcast. That's great. Social media is at Tyler Reagan, R-E-A-G-I-N. And then 1010 Projects, just the number 10, the word 10 project.com. If you're a pastor, you know, a pastor, we're filling up our June group right now and we've got a few spots left. So if it's something you'd be interested in, just go to 1010 project.com and connect with us that way. Well, I'm going to encourage everyone who's listening today to pick up a copy of Tyler's book, Leading Things You Didn't Start, Winning Big, When You Inherit People, Places, and Possibilities. You should also get a copy of his first book, The Life-Giving Leader, Learning to Lead from Your Truest Self. It's also a fantastic book. I've read both of them. They're highlighted to death, so great books. I'm going to put the links to those books and all of Tyler's contacts in the show notes. So Tyler, man, look forward to following your journey and seeing everything that God's going to continue to do in, in you. And maybe down the road, I'd love to have you back on the podcast again to talk about your next book or next project. Oh man, don't throw me there yet. But you know, for now, at least we can say go dogs, right? That's, uh, See, I just no, did that. I threw that no, in there. No, I, just, no, I knew no, I'd no, get no, you can't going. Do that. Can't do that. <laughs> Tyler threw in that little shout out to the Georgia Bulldogs. Before we started recording the conversation, we had been talking about his love for the Bulldogs and my love for the Ohio State Buckeyes. With all the great things that Tyler has been doing, I'm not going to hold that small flaw against him. All I can say is go Bucks. Oh my goodness. That is the silliest thing I've ever heard. What I really want to ask you, James, is does he have enough stats and data on the Bulldogs to qualify as a fan? Yes. You- He does. Yeah, because you do not like when people are like me being a fan of a team and I don't have any information. You don't know anything about the team. Well, this is real life, people. Anyways, thank you, Tyler, for being on the podcast and investing the gift of your time. James, you guys covered a lot of ground in that conversation and there was so much good content. If you found the content helpful, we'd appreciate you sharing it with your friends and family. It's the best way for people to get to know us and get acquainted with the podcast. We are just two more episodes away from bringing season two of the podcast to a close. Next week, we have Justin Brown, the author of the book, Stay the Course with us. Justin is a great guy and his book is fantastic. We discuss the five transformational principles of leaders who last. You will not want to miss this episode. You can find the show notes to this and every show at livelylast.com. You can also join our weekly newsletter and receive each episode and show notes delivered directly to your inbox. Just text the word live to the number 22454. We want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Live Lead Last Podcast. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Live Lead Last. Yeah, thanks again for joining us for this episode. We wish you a blessed and safe week. Lead your life and leverage your influence today in a way that leaves the legacy you want tomorrow. Until next week, bye-bye. Bye-bye.